0: Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining me today is Steve Neerman, president and CEO of Neerman Financial Consulting. Thanks for joining me, Steve. Thank you
1: so much for having me. It's such an honor, actually.
0: Yes, yes. Um, I absolutely love having... Uh, my clients on this show, it lets me learn a lot about them. And I'm looking really forward to hearing your story. And that's really the t- place where I like to start usually is my favorite question. How did you get into the financial services industry? Take us in the uh, way back time machine and, and tell our audience what your experience was like as you found your career. Well, you'll
1: find um, that you and I have a lot of timing in common. And uh, so I'll I'll start with uh, that before I got into the business, um, I had um, come out of my MBA program and got re- got a job at a hospital uh, managing and answering a paging service. And um, I worked my tail off 24-7 keeping this going and taking it from losing $13,000 a month to making money. And after a year, uh, my boss gave me the standard uh, raise. And I realized at that moment that um I, I didn't want to work for any company that had a set salary that just everybody would get, because if I worked extraordinarily hard, I wanted to be compensated for that. Uh, so I had um, a, a distant uncle in the business, uh, in the investment business. He worked for a big wirehouse house um, that was swooped up uh, in the meantime. And uh, he said, well, you can work uh, here and make as much as you want to make. And so I was very uh taken by that, so I interviewed, you'll love the timing here, I interviewed during the summer of 87, '87. and my first job was started in September of 87, just like you did when you started in your business, in our business here, and uh, as we all know, the next month, uh, we both witnessed an amazing thing, you you from uh, a support side and me from being in the trenches and uh, just wondering, is this really the uh, business for me? Um, but being stubborn that I am, I stuck with it. Um, the broker class that I was in had 50 of us and two of us survived the first year, but I stuck with it.
0: Well, congratulations. That's the toughest part of uh, the, ju- the journeys that begin that way, are to try to be one of the survivors. What do you think the most important qualities were? Because that is still a place where many people potentially may go, along with investment banking and maybe the RAA side as an employee before they get into the independent space. What do you think were the most important qualities there um, that helped you be two of 50? Yeah
1: persistence. uh, And like I said, stubbornness, Um, but also um, it's really hard to take uh, rejection all day long. Um, I had an assistant branch manager that uh, gave me a sheet that had 300 blanks and I had to fill in phone numbers as I called and uh, check boxes, yes or no. And just getting hung up on uh, all day long, day after day uh, was was really tough. But, you know, I just said, if you want to make it, Uh, you've got to just really work hard. I was poor at that time. I made $15,000 in my first year, uh, from, uh, the brokerage business and most of it from draw. Um, but I worked a lot of tables as a waiter, a lot. And I mean, at this point, if I ever had to, I could pick up a tray and wait tables again, uh, and build, build myself back up. So I know I've done it before and I could do it again. So.
0: That's great. That's something else we have in common. I too worked in a restaurant um, for a period of time, and I think we learned a lot from the you know entrepreneurial spirit, even in those types of jobs, right? That carry us on in a lot of our careers. So um, that's that's uh, really interesting. So obviously, the entrepreneurial spirit um, lives strong in you. You decided, I believe, then in nineteen ninety two to. Just go out on your own and you founded your own company. Talk about that.
1: So, I was with um, the brokerage business and um, I came to uh, kind of an epiphany. Um, There were quotas uh, all the time. And uh, of course, there was always that chart at the front uh, of the uh, office that had uh, a list of everybody's production every day. And um, I was much more of a long term person and I really didn't believe in. Uh, just moving investments around to make money, uh, that really grated on me. So uh, I had an epiphany on a beach in Myrtle Beach, and I started asking myself, was it the business that I didn't like, or was it the way the business was being done? And the answer was the way the business was being done. So at that point, um, I went out independent. As you know, independence in 1992, there are very few firms out there. Uh, and it wasn't uh, a real established business like it is today.
0: Yes. Yes. There's And there's only a few of us left from even back then. So um, I'm glad we found each other here. How about the risks? How did you think about the risks of running your own business back then? What were the things that if there's somebody out there thinking about going independent that they should be prepared for?
1: Well, the, the <laughs> The bigger risk is being uh, working for somebody and uh, and getting fired one day because of production. So when you look at risk, uh, I think taking control of your destiny uh, is a lot riskier or a lot less risky than working for somebody. Uh, because when I was at that brokerage, the first brokerage place, I wasn't doing the production that the advisors had been doing. stockbrokers had been doing the year before, which is over $100,000. And I was making fifteen dollars Uh, It wasn't because I wasn't trying, uh, and I was constantly being threatened with being laid off, and I left before I got laid off, which would have happened probably pretty soon uh, if I hadn't have left. So I think it's riskier uh, to work for somebody than it is to work for yourself, because you know your destiny every day when you wake up. You know you're going to be employed.
0: Good advice. And maybe uh, go to a beach because the beach tends to c- bring clarity of thought as well, in my opinion. What ways has the firm grown over the last 30 years? Talk about the steps you took to expand your business and the number of clients. Do you have a particular niche that you serve? What kind of clients do you work with?
1: Yeah, a lot of great questions there. So um, the way to grow your business, uh, and there's a lot of ways of doing this, so I'm not giving uh you know, wholesale advice to, to everybody in every situation. Um, but I've always been very hands-on with my business and very connected with my clients. And after the first 10 years, I didn't have to cold call our market anymore because I had clients referring clients, referring clients, referring clients. Um, I joined the local chamber of commerce when I was down in Northern Virginia, met a lot of people. They learned to trust me. And they just, I uh, have people way back 30, I'm still managing accounts from 36 years ago, uh, from people that um, I started back, you know, at the beginning of my uh, career, and they have referred business and referred business. So if you do the right thing, and I, I know your motto is if you do the right thing, uh, even when nobody's looking, and that's a, that's a big Amy Weber quote, I'll credit you with that, uh, you will grow your business, uh, whether you advertise or not.
0: You just talked about the chamber. I hear that a lot from advisors as they think about building out their circle of influence and uh, the types of networking that they should do. Is there any any others that seem to really be critical if somebody were prioritizing how to put themselves out there in a community and make sure they know the right people?
1: There can be. I mean, the chamber is a great source. I was on the board of that chamber for seven years. Uh, So I was seen as a leader in the business community, and people want to do business with leaders in the business community. It's it's pretty pretty simple like that. Um, But there are a lot of service organizations um, like the Lions. There's um, uh, oh gosh, I'm gonna Rotary is another one. Um, So there are organizations where you put yourself with a lot of people and meet people. Um, You know, I'm not a social media guy, and it goes back to how I started. I don't believe in social media at all. Um, and I don't want it as a part of my business at all. I found early on that people that found me through the internet did not become particularly good clients. Uh, I want to meet my clients in person, but then again, I'm, I'm an old-fashioned guy. If you're starting today, it may be a different world. You may want to become an influencer and have people follow you uh, in, on your Facebook or your Instagram, um, but the way I did it was the old-fashioned way, and that's the way I continue to do it, and I still grow my business even though I don't have an an internet or a uh, social media presence.
0: That's a great segue. I know you're very active in your community and Cambridge is extremely honored to be associated with someone that in 2022, and I understand it's been announced in 2023, received the honorable mention for the catalyst category from invest in others for your distinguished community service and contribution. Congratulations. First of all, thank you for giving back. And what does that mean to you? And, and maybe tell the audience a little bit about what you think you've done there, you know, to bring that into your business and make it an important part of your life.
1: Yeah. So I always believe there's a, a work, uh, play family, and uh give back balance and it takes a long time to get that so people who get things done as you know amy you're probably asked all the time to be on this board and be on that board and you know be to be the face of this organization that organization and at some point you get overbooked and then you're not good for anybody so you learn at some point to kind of balance it all Uh, but i come from a family that always gave back my grandfather when i would visit their house had plaques all over for fundraising for the local hospital and all sorts of great um, nonprofits that he worked. My parents were very much involved in giving back to the community. So it was just a natural for me to grow up in that. And it's really important for me to take the gifts that I was given uh, and give that to other people who weren't given those gifts and help the less fortunate people in our society. It's really important to me.
0: Yes, well, obviously, it's super exciting that others have recognized that as well. So, once again, congratulations! I couldn't agree more with a lot of that. And um, I think one of the toughest lessons for many people is to learn how to say no. To your point of balancing and uh, make sure that you don't overdo it. You aren't able to give a hundred percent to everyone at the same time. And especially for those of us that are in the 100 to 120 or 150% people and we can't help it. uh, It can definitely burn us out. I think the important thing for me is always to measure whether or not my contributions are really being, are valuable and uh, try to then figure out when the right time is to say no to those that perhaps somebody else would just be better at it.
1: That's true. And you know, you you have to pace yourself. Uh, I've been told by uh, wholesalers uh, who have met me that, uh, you know they're so shocked that I've only had burnout in this business twice in 36 years, which is pretty incredible and for any career, uh, so you have to pace yourself and the same with what you do outside of work and your family, uh, you just have, it's pacing. you have to learn how to pace.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. And another point on giving back, let's talk about the fact that you founded something called the Great Blizzards of Massachusetts. I believe it's a hockey program created to support athletes with cognitive or developmental disabilities, and you volunteered with that organization for many years. Talk about that organization and why that work has been important to you.
1: Well, you certainly have done your research. Um, so <laughs> so the Invest in Others for the last two years has come from my work with the Great Blizz. Uh, and the Great Liz, like you said, is a, a team for uh, players that can't play on any other hockey team. Uh, and my son started playing hockey. He's autistic. He started playing hockey in Northern Virginia in 2011. And when we moved up to the south shore of Massachusetts for better opportunities for him, a better education... Uh, There were no hockey teams anywhere near us. We had to travel almost an hour to the closest uh, special hockey program. So after a couple of years of traveling uh, an hour each way, uh, myself and another uh, person, uh, family that moved up from Northern Virginia as well, uh, we decided to start our own team on the South Shore. We started five months before COVID set in, uh, and we've gone from zero players to 40 players on our roster and we have a lot of great things going on. We have practice uh, every week from uh, September to May. We travel. We went to St. Louis for a major tournament uh, with USA Hockey back a few months ago. And I'm just launching this coming season a program on Cape Cod, so a sister program.
0: How exciting. And that sounds like really rewarding work to me.
1: Huge, huge. There's nothing like being on the ice and watching a player do something that a parent never imagined that they could do and looking up in the stands and seeing tears well up in people's face. It's it's really uh, intoxicating actually. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Sounds very special. Absolutely. So let's go back to your clients a little bit. Talk to me and us, the listeners in particular, about what does the process look like? Um, You mentioned earlier that sometimes you found clients that maybe aren't a good fit. I think um, all financial professionals face that moment where they realize maybe you don't take everybody that can fog a mirror. There's got to be a good fit. What's the process look like to figure that out for you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And when I first started in the business uh, and we we had a large office, we had wholesalers coming in all the time and it was trying to learn everything about everything and being an expert in everything. And it was um, it was really overwhelming at the beginning. And I guess my advice to anybody starting in the business is to find a few products and, and just kind of get good at that and you know, dr- focus in those areas and that you can't be everything to everybody, uh, which I, I learned. But Over time, I've just educated myself. I've taken a lot of courses. I've read a lot of books uh, in personal finance. uh, And I started selling insurance as a part of it. Health insurance is a big part now because of how difficult it is to understand our health insurance system. Uh, Medicare is really daunting to older people. Um, So I've just continued to educate myself reading trade pubs i read about you amy all the time in investment advisor magazine so they keep me up to date on your life and i just keep educating myself and that's the best way you could do it so that when you meet a client you can determine pretty quickly whether your experience uh and bandwidth can work with them and i've turned clients away uh, because i said i just can't do a good enough job in that particular area that you're looking for uh like somebody who come to me uh And looking at a divorce settlement and and very complicated legal stuff and how their finances split up. And um, I say, I'm not really qualified or have the experience to do you a good job, but there are people out there. So I usually have a good referral network. I'm happy to refer out.
0: That's what I was just going to ask. So instead of, you know, maybe just turning them away. End and spent the time to create a network where you can at least give them somebody you think might be able to help them?
1: Uh, yes. And I have a very large network of people and, and it's, it's so silly that I, I had a, um, a, a client call me once and he needed to rent a tuxedo for an event that night. And he asked me if I knew a good place where he could get a tuxedo. Of course, I knew a place down the street. That I had a relationship with the owner and I sent him down there. So, you know, when you become a center of influence, as you know, uh, then you can refer people out. People come to you actually for referring Excellent. out, and it uh, kind of works as a two way street.
0: Yes. I think that's really an important message for the listeners. Absolutely. So, um, on that note, you also talked about what I call maybe lifetime learning. It sounds like you're, you like to continue to keep yourself up on what's going on out there and, and learn about things that are happening that you might be asked. What are some of the, a couple of your favorite books that you feel like really helped you build your business and learn about the things that, you know, you're now an expert in?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, don't want to name one book in particular because not there's not one book that kind of fits all, but you kind of pull tidbits from various books. Um, I do a lot of research online and I do a lot of reading of magazines. Um, magazines tend to be very topical as of things happening and in our business, uh, especially on the compliance side, you really need to know kind of what's going on. Um, but on the flip side, you also need to know what to tune out uh, because it can get very deafening out there. Uh, there's Every analyst has an opinion, and um, just like the weathermen, they can be wrong. Um, a lot of the time, I mean, I could call a market crash every day for the next 10 years, and I'm going to be right, just like the clock is going to be, the broken clock is going to be right twice a day. Um, so you have to really just, you know, take, take the information and then make your own judgments and what you're going to uh, take in and what you're going to leave behind, and um, so... I really couldn't name one book in particular because I I don't want to leave out. There's tons of really good books out there. I mean, I follow Warren Buffett. He's always a great sage, of course.
0: Yeah, um, it's been a long time, but what was his, the book I really enjoyed of his was the one pretty much about his lifetime. Was it called Snowball or something uh, like
1: that? Something like that. Um, yeah, it,
0: it, it, he's a fascinating guy. That's for sure. You mentioned health insurance and Medicare. Really complicated, mm-hmm. right? Um, I talk to a lot of financial advisors who are helping clients struggle through the various components of that. Are there any other resources besides maybe books and reading? Have you gone to any seminars or what, what do you attribute the, you know, the, what are the resources that could potentially help somebody in that category?
1: Sure. So Medicare puts out a 100 page uh, online doc called Medicare and you, and they update it each year. Uh, if you want to work the Medicare market, you should become very familiar with that 100 pages because that will tell you a lot. Um, I also have a general agency that I work through, so I ask questions uh, there and uh, I do uh, attend seminars. There's a lot of seminars now on Social Security. Um, Cambridge offers a lot of seminars uh, along those lines, and I've jumped in on those too. So, uh, retirement planning, which should include social security planning, which should include Medicare planning. It's all part of the same package.
0: Great. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, good advice and some good resources for our listeners. Steve, one of the things I like to do is I think we often have quite a few listeners who are either still trying to build their business or even thinking about getting into our business and an important thing for the younger generations in particular, though it's becoming more and more important for everyone is to know that we have some life balance, like we've talked about earlier, but specifically what are some of the hobbies and interests that you do outside of work? I think I read that you're a runner. Uh, maybe you've done a cross-country bike trip. Are those the kind of things? Is that is that where you'd spend your time um, that you have free, that you're not working? You're an outdoorsman, maybe?
1: Absolutely. Um, so being up here near Cape Cod uh, right now, we're experiencing fantastic weather. Uh, so, my wife and I get up early and bicycle along the uh, CNO Canal, which divides the mainland uh, with Cape Cod. Um, so, I love to bike. Um, I've been a competitive master's runner for quite some time, uh, although I need to get in much better shape right now. Uh, and I am doing a really cool thing. So, uh, I was a journalist uh, along with a, a, a financial guy for a long time and covering the running business. And in 2004, I was invited out to an event in the Himalayas where uh 42 runners uh ran 100 miles over 5 days through the Himalayas and it was an incredible event I got invited again uh, in October so I'll be going out there it's uh it start it it runs between 4000 and 12000 feet and it's uh quite an amazing experience so yeah, I love to be outdoors doing outdoor things.
0: Well, that is really impressive. It's a good thing you're 30 years old and you can still get that done because it sounds a little monumental uh, to me. So um, I'll have to. You'll have to let me know how it goes and um, maybe send pictures. It sounds like you could get some amazing views.
1: There are 12,000 feet at the top of Sandekfu on day one. Uh, you can see just like mountains on fire because they're snow and ice covered, and the sun comes up and Uh, during the third day, you see four of the highest five peaks in the world, including Everest. So it's uh, now I don't run the whole way. I'm a a journalist and they have a little golf cart that takes me around. So um, I run part of it, but not all of it.
0: Oh, thank goodness. I was starting (laughs) to worry about you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, we're nearing the end of my questions for you, but let me ask you this. Is there anything that you think the listeners should know that I haven't asked? What's another lesson you've learned in in life and or business or both because they intertwine so much for many of us that you think the listeners could get value out of?
1: So when you start in our business, you basically are doing two things. You're running a business uh, and you're uh, prospecting and building your business, and you just have to make sure that you have a good uh, mix in your time so that, uh, you know, I've, In early in my st- uh, stage, I had people around me in the bullpen who only prospected and didn't service their clients, and they just burned through clients, a- and then I had people that were the other way, and they just had a few clients that they over-serviced and they didn't grow their business because they weren't prospecting, um, but you need to kind of find that mix, and over time, you become more taking care of your clients because you have more of them and doing less prospecting because you don't need to, because you get the word of mouth referral. Um, so you just kind of, you know, and don't be afraid to change things. Our, the business changes, we change. If it's not working, change it up. Uh, ask people in the industry questions. How did you do it? what you know, just be open to ideas. Not so Great
0: advice. Great advice. I'm a big change fan and I don't change just for the sake of changing, but to your point, continue to learn, explore and not be afraid to try new things and then wrap them in with the things that have the, the tried and true things that still continue to work. I think it's a, a ba- we've used the word balance here a couple of times. And I guess maybe that's important as it relates to the lessons you just described as well.
1: Absolutely. And I know from reading from your background that you're not trying to change people, that you do change for them. And that's how you're able to build your Uh, footprint in Cambridge through that
0: philosophy. Yes. Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. You've also done your homework on me. So it's almost like we've met a million times. Um, And I like, I like that. So thank you so much, Steve, for uh, being a part of my podcast. I think you've given the listeners a lot of great lessons and messages today. And you're a fairly new member of Cambridge Nation, but we are so glad to have you as a part of our family here. And I look forward to seeing all the things you do in the future. Well, thank you so much. And again, it's a real honor. I know you
1: had over 4,000 advisors you could have on your show uh, and to have me on there is just a very, very huge honor and, and a privilege and I thank you very much.
0: You are welcome. It's been great for me too. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.